thing that was always important to me was to keep my finger on the trends and competition because you can't work in isolation. And competition can be intensely local. Welcome to International Business Today, where we discuss the most critical issues in international business through the lens of cutting-edge research. At Northeastern University, we're committed to disseminating use-inspired research. As academic leaders in the field of international business and strategy, this podcast is dedicated to helping global business professionals get through the noise. We want you to know the facts and learn from the experts. I'm Paula Kellajuri, professor at Northeastern University in the International Business and Strategy Group. With me today is Lauren States. Lauren has held numerous executive positions for IBM, including the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Strategy and Transformation for IBM Software Group. Lauren now serves as an independent board member on several boards and was recently named one of the most influential black corporate directors by Savoy Magazine. Today I'm speaking with Lauren about her advice and insights as a successful global business leader. So Lauren, welcome to International Business Today. Paul, it's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, this, this is going to be great. I'm just so curious, if you don't mind, let's start with your backstory. You went from, from Wharton to becoming a, a member of the International Hall of Fame for Science and Technology, Women in Science Technology, from in economics to technology. What was that story? Well, it's actually a wonderful story, and I still kind of, you know, get the chills thinking about it. Um, if I go all the way back, Paula, um, I grew up in the 1970s, and I was very good at math, uh, but I wasn't really sure what to do with it. Uh, back then, there were technology companies, but technology was not nearly as pervasive and known to students as it is now. We didn't have STEM, uh, so to speak. Um, and so my father, who was an executive and a tax attorney and accountant, suggested that I go to Wharton and study accounting. Um, and so it sounded like a great idea. I went to Wharton. Um, accounting wasn't so good for me at 18 years old, uh, but I bopped around from major to major, and uh, I ended up majoring in decision sciences, uh, and we had to do coding. And so that's how I got into technology, doing coding as part of my business classes um, and I loved it. Uh, and so when I graduated, you know, I was looking around at different options. Um, I looked at uh, working at various vendors, working for consulting firms, working for uh, companies. And I had a great interview with IBM. Uh, and I joined IBM in New York as a systems engineer. And what that job was at the time was helping advise clients and help clients implement technology. Um, and so that's how it all started, starting in business school, then getting into my tech career, starting in tech. Um, and it was really amazing because the thing about IBM is that you can work in any part of the business. Uh, you can work in technology, you can work in, in strategy, you can work in, you know, corporate, you can do, you can work in sales, you can do so many things. Um, and also you can work locally, you can work regionally, you can work globally, it's all there for you. Um, and, and so one of the things about me is that I'm super curious and I love my client work, but I love new technology. Um, so I started as a mainframe person, uh, but when PCs and LANs became really popular, I was super curious about that. Um, and some of my clients down on Wall Street were experimenting 
So I went into um, kind of an entrepreneurial role in the company. Uh, there was a division that was put together to see what would it take to start that business? What was the business model? What was to go to market? What was the technology? Um, and I, I did that. Um, and I did that again and again and again up through cloud computing, working on emerging technologies, going back to the line organization, you know, working with clients, working with technologies. Um, and then I had my penultimate role, which was client uh, or chief technology officer. Uh, and um, that was working on the strategy for cloud computing for the company. And during that time, I got named into the Witty Hall of Fame, which was phenomenal. Right. What So much great career advice embedded just in your story, right? So the idea when you're in college to go and really pursue passion, pursue interest, and then have those those mentors like your dad was to motivate you to go and pursue those interests to follow what you were great at. But then you jumped and went into IBM and stayed with IBM, which is really unique nowadays for individuals yeah. and organizations. You stayed with one organization, but it sounds like even within IBM, you were able to continually move your career in ways to follow your passion, to follow your interests, to follow your, your you know, what looked new and exciting, right? That seems like it was really very much a hallmark of, of your, your full career. So, so let's talk a little bit about um, being an executive. So in your, in your leadership role, you were part of that senior leadership team that was tackling big problems, big challenges globally. I know with IBM, uh, you were part of that top 200 who were kind of engaging with leaders all around the world to solve some big challenges. Can you share a little bit about what that experience was like? And, and then we'll talk a little bit about what that means for global leaders today. Yeah, so um, I was a member of uh, the senior leadership team, later renamed to the integration and values team. And it was a top 300 executives in the company and really uh, quite an honor to be um, appointed to that. And that was cross-functional. So we had leaders from across the business um, who were named to that. Uh, you know, pretty much on an annual basis. So very performance-based. Um, and, and one of the things that, and so that was that was something in addition to your day job, that, that kind of leadership. So you still had your role, you know, you still, um, you know, had, had uh, what you were expected to deliver to the company. But the purpose of that was really to take a larger, more integrated view um, and look at some of the, challenges that we faced as a very complicated um, business in that, you know, we had several lines of business, they had slightly different business models, but we needed to integrate in front of the customer in, you know, over 150 countries or so um, at various levels of, um, you know, size and maturity of the local teams, etc. Um, and, and so one of the things that, that we were asked to do while I was uh, on the uh, integrations and values team was to focus on hard problems as cross-functional interdisciplinary executive teams. So I worked with peers from across functions and from across the business. Um, and the team that I was assigned to was client value. And the problem or the challenge that we were asked to think about was how do you maintain world-class high value to your clients that's durable, you know, no matter what the conditions. 
Um, and we worked on that as a, a team, kind of part-time, you know, uh, in addition to our day jobs for a year. And then I went on the transformation team that was assigned for the um, actual implementation uh, and did that full-time. And the area that I worked on was really pretty exciting. It was on talent. And the idea was mm -hmm. if we had the belief that one of the things that differentiated us was access to world-class talent, how could we put the right systems and processes in place to make sure that we always delivered on that consistently across the business? Um, and so I brought to that assignment my technology experience. Uh, and at the time I was in the software business and I was teamed up with a leader who had, uh, from our global services consulting business, who had uh, uh, HR and HR background. And together we crafted what we thought would be um, the best practices, processes and techniques to make sure that we were always on our A game with our talent. That, that's such a powerful challenge to make sure you do get best players from around the world attracted to and retained by by IBM that that's such an important issue so what would the what was the lesson learned from that experience from for global leaders today well um, you know that's a really great question Paula so I mean it really starts with a well thought through hypothesis and our hypothesis was, among other things, but for my work stream, it was that talent was a, a differentiator. Clients would do business with us over others for access to our talent, right? So we had to make sure that we um, had a strong hypothesis. One of the, so, so I built an interdisciplinary team to work on it. Um, and one of the things that we had to work on um, was language. Right, so we had people from all parts of the business and we had people from all parts of the world and we used language um, very differently. So I'll give you a, a, a simple example. Um, in our sales division, a sales rep was called a client executive. In our software division, it's called a software, um, you know, software, a, a, a client software sales rep, you know, in another division, be called a partner, you know, et cetera. And so one of the things that we learned really quickly is that we had to have a taxonomy and align all of our language so that we understood each other deeply and clearly. And I think this is a message or learning that I've had throughout my career working with diverse teams, diverse cultures, people of diverse backgrounds, that clarity of communication is really critical. And it starts with really being clear about terminology and what people are, are talking about. But then, you know, we had to really um, spend the time to understand all the nuances. You know, it's one thing to have a global hypothesis. It's another thing to get into the local markets. You know, what is it like there? How do you do business? You know, what is, what is the team, you know, faced with in terms of opportunities and challenges? What is the culture? You know, what are the practices? And all my career, I felt that the only way to really do this well was to be down on the ground in the territories, talking to the people, the teams, and really listening um, and building trust. 
um, because there were insights that I could not glean from my position at the headquarters level that were very familiar to them. And, and I needed to create an environment where people trusted um, that they could tell me what I needed to hear and that they could trust that I would synthesize it and adjust and act on it. That is so, so critical, Lauren. Could you talk more about that? Because trust is is something that, of course, is important for every relationship, but it has some nuances around the world, how you build trust, how you gain trust, how people find you trustworthy and credible. Did you notice that from, from geography to geography? Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing is that I had to understand that I was an American executive coming into a geography. I wasn't necessarily Lauren, right? So I had to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, how people saw me when I came into a territory. Uh, and I had to be clear about that because that created a level of expectation that I, I needed to, I wouldn't say perform to, um, but I would say <clears throat> that I needed to be um, very clear about it. Um, you know, the second thing was that I really needed to listen and learn, um, but I also had to have cultural acuity, so to speak. Um, and over time, I also felt I needed to have historical context so that I could really understand the situation that I was in and what people aspired to, what they, what they were challenged with, how it worked where they worked. Um, and then I always tried to create an environment where people could really talk to me. And Paula, you know, a lot of that was in our downtime. It wasn't during the, you know, presentations to corporate headquarters, you know, which were very structured, very thoughtful, very detailed. Often people would tell me things in the car when we were driving to a client, you know, or going to dinner, or they tell me things over coffee. And so I'd have to listen for that and I'd have to be very open to it. Um, and, and so, you know, I think bringing my authentic self and a style of leadership that was, you know, inclusive and open and had the capacity to really hear and learn and be humble about that, but also understanding that I was an American executive representing, you know, a large iconic company um, was something that I really had to learn to blend and to try to do most effectively for the company. Yeah, it's that humility that you bring. You know, when we talk about cultural agility, so much of what we find is that humility, the ability to understand, hey, no matter how good I am at being an executive at IBM, whatever it might be, I still have to learn how to be good and effective here. And that becomes so, so critical and something it sounds like you did really well. Do you have an example of when that was, uh, when you were in another country and, and that started to come to play, that need for humility? Well, um, I, pro I have a lot of examples. I try to think history. of history. I mean, you've got, I know you've got so many probably. <laughs> the best one. And you know, um, maybe this isn't like, maybe uh, I'll share a couple with you. So um, my grandmother is from uh, the Caribbean. Uh, my grandmother was born in Trinidad and she grew up in Panama and moved to Boston. Uh, and my grandmother spoke fluent Spanish, uh, but I didn't learn to speak um, 
fluent Spanish partially was I wasn't with her enough. Um, and, and the second thing was that she really wanted all of us to really assimilate into the culture so that we could be successful. But I knew enough Spanish so that if I were in, for instance, I think it was Columbia at the time, I could actually participate in a conversation, not through my speaking, I needed a translator, but through my listening. Um, and so we did um, a women's conference with one of the um, local local leaders, uh, and we did the conference um, all in Spanish. And you know they were really thrilled that I would have the respect for their culture um, and really try. Uh, and so I felt like that created quite a lot of goodwill. Um, and later, one of my clients uh, said to me, one of my uh, clients, we were meeting uh, at one of their local, um, they had a, a social club in, in Bogota where executives would often meet and do meetings. And he said, you know, it's not lost on us here in Colombia that you come to the country, you know, you really, you know, work to assimilate as much into the culture as possible. Uh, and, and we really value that. So I think it's a small example, but it was an example of me trying to reach as far as I could to be in a local culture, to build credibility and show humility and, and you know, just, you know, kind of EQ for, I want to be part of what matters to you. I'm not here to come and tell you, here's what you should do. Right, right. It's that idea of that cultural integration that's so, so critical. When we talk about cultural agility, oftentimes it's, look, at there's times we do need to adapt, but there also, I'm sure, were times when you needed to maintain the corporate way of doing things, but you did it with persuasion and motivation and, and sensitivity. And then the other times you just, you integrated. So that's, that's really <laughs> sort of the best of a global leader, um, so interesting. You also had a role with the with the global sales tech team around the world. Uh, could you tell us about that? You were leading that for a while. Yes, yeah, so, um, you know, that was part of my um, kind of desire to be in new businesses. And uh, as part of the transitions during one of the technology transitions, IBM made the business decision to create a software company that was separate from our hardware company. And I was very lucky to be involved in the early days of that division um, being stood up by a really terrific set of executives. Um, and, um, you know, later, as we started to build our global market, our global go-to-market, I was asked if First, you know, I could come into the North America team and start to build out a global technical sales force to work with the sales force to do the work that I did um, that I mentioned earlier to advise clients on the best technology solutions and, you know, make sure that they were able to be implemented effectively. Uh, and so, you know, I did that for a couple of years in North America. And as that business was scaling out, um, I was approached by the um, our corporate team and they asked me if I would um, do that work globally. And, you know, it was a big, it was big, right? I'd never, I'd worked all over the United States, but I'd never worked globally. I wasn't really sure, you know, what it meant to be somebody like me 
um, to work all over the world. Um, but on the other hand, it was a discipline that I loved. I loved the whole idea of technologists being out in the client-facing roles, helping the sales teams, advising customers, looking for the win-win. I felt it was differentiating for the company. Um, I wanted to rebuild it, uh, and I wanted to I wanted to be the one to rebuild it globally when when I really thought about it. Um, and so, you it's know, it's really such a such an interesting area. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please. So as uh, you know, and so um, at that time, we had a very strong presence in North America and in uh, Europe, but the rest of the world, it was kind of patchy. Some people in Japan, some people in Australia, some people in um, uh, the larger um, countries in Latin America. Uh, and so I went around the world meeting with people and I was amazed by how people were so enthusiastic about rebuilding this career, being involved in it, had so many fantastic ideas, wanted to collaborate, wanted to build the business case because we had to rebalance resources, um, obviously. Uh, and we ended up going from probably when we started about 1500 to, you know, over the course of my tenure, you know, maybe four or five, 6,000 technical spe sales specialists oh, out wow. of the field, all building value. All over, all over the world. You were all bringing the, them on all, all, all over the world. All building value wow. for our clients, but also for our employees because it was another career path. It was a chance for people who were you know, interested in that type of a career to grow. It created opportunities in countries where it didn't exist before. People could then grow to regional or global roles. Um, and, and so I felt really proud of that too, because it wasn't just what we did for our clients and our business, you know, particularly our top line revenue growth, but it was also what we did for our employees. Um, and I'm still, you know, very close to a lot of those employees to this day, even though I've been out of IBM now for seven years. Um, but it, w it was mm -hmm. tremendously fulfilling, and I believe in industry model. It's a great way, it's such a great story too, because, you know, you, you grew the business, but you also got the motivation for growing the business together and the people that you brought on you were motivating them to be a part of something something big and something exciting and to do that effectively around the world. It's, it's just world class. Um, what advice would you give for global leaders based on that experience? Well, so, um, you know, I, I'd start by saying that you really have to have a really strong sense of what you're trying to achieve uh, and a, also a very, very, uh, strong communications plan, right? Because you're trying to, in a sense, pitch to people the possibility of what we can do together, uh, you know, for the company. And in that case, you know, we were creating a software powerhouse for IBM. Uh, the other thing that I found is I needed to be very collaborative. I needed all the best thinking from around the world in terms of how to approach this business, how are we gonna manage it, how are we gonna measure it, what are the management systems that we're going to build, what are all of the um, you know, standard um, 
practices, policies, procedures, training, et cetera. I couldn't think that myself, and I didn't want to think it just out of New York, uh, but I wanted to create collaboration um, so that people would, would um, really bring the best. The other thing uh, that I, I, I think is that one, one thing that was always important to me was to keep my finger on the trends and competition, because you can't work in isolation. And competition can be intensely local, right? And so, you know, we had to do the work to have the data and analytics around what what's going around in the different markets. You know, what are their different growth rates? What's taking off? What's our client profile? You know, what does the competition look like? How do we stack up against competition? It was always very important to me, still is very important to me, to have a strong external view, you know, with, with what you're doing uh, to shape it. And I guess the last thing uh, that I would say, I would give people advice is that uh, you really have to be out there. But one thing I found about being out and about in the territories was that you really had to work hard on staying physically and mentally fit because mm. people <laughs> would need you to be at your best all the time. Uh, you know, from the time you land to be able to bring your A game. Uh, and, I, and I learned over time that making the space for that uh, was really important to performance and people really appreciated it because I gave them the space as well for their performance. Yeah. It, it sounds like there's so much embedded in that experience that's just great uh, enduring advice, right? Creating the vision, creating the engagement, creating that opportunity for people to um, integrate and have those, those good ideas surface and then be collected. And then frankly, realizing that you're, you're part of that package, right? As the leader, you have to keep yourself kind of fit. And you know what? This is exhausting. Working globally can be exhausting, but making time and being healthy and all of that is, is so critical. So Lauren, this has been amazing and a wonderful interview. I thank you so much for being a part of international business today. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, Northeastern and I'm very honored. Uh, so thank you so much, Paula. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for International Business Today. If you benefited from today's podcast, please subscribe to it and share it with anyone who might appreciate this cutting-edge knowledge. If you have questions or something you want us to cover in future episodes, please send us a note. We'd love to hear from you.